Ben Locke, President and CEO of Maramaca Copper. We're developing the Maramaca Oxide project in northern Chile. Uh, it's a really unique and exceptional development stage copper project. Stands out from the peers in many ways, most importantly from its return on investor capital perspective and a reasonably short timeline to development, which is unusual in the copper space. Hengasi, um wanted to talk about the infiltrating that you've done. A few unexpected, delightful uh, numbers coming out of that. I'll talk about that in a minute. But you come back from Chile and you've been down, um, well, you, you've been speaking with government or government has been speaking in the same room that you've been in. And what can you tell us? Yeah, we were down for Sesco week, uh, which is the Chilean equivalent of the LME week, you know, very important uh, date in the calendar for the Chilean copper industry, the mining industry in general, but specifically copper. And, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about the constitutional reforms and the royalty bills. And um, obviously there's been quite a lot of news, which you've addressed in other uh, interviews with people in the industry with regards to rumours of nationalisation. Um, so it was a very interesting time to be down there and just hear the new Minister of Mines, uh, Marcela Hernando, uh, just commenting about the government's perspective. And it was really refreshing to see the government being you know, quite aggressive in terms of their response to the rumours of nationalisation, saying under no circumstances do we want to nationalise the industry. And in fact, we want to grow it. And then at the same time, you hear Cadelco saying publicly that they want to take some of their assets, their non-core assets, and privatise them, find private investors to come in and take those assets forward. So I think we're really starting to see the government waking up to the damage that's being caused by these headlines, by these, uh, you know, these sort of radical few. Um, the other really interesting aspect in all of the discussions we've had is, you know, these radical proposals are being made, but not one of them has ever has made it through that two-thirds vote that, that Alex Black talked about on that, um, you know, really informative interview that you did with him um, about the Chilean constitutional reforms. So I came away from it feeling much more positive. I was already pretty positive, but, you know, really starting to see that the government's engaged and, and moving us in the right direction. Well, that's, that's really um, a strong, uh, well, it's good, good feedback and good to know, but it's really kind of strong uh, statement of intent from the government, which is fantastic. I'm really fascinated by the Cadelco position because you, you, you're, you're talking about to extract, well, offloading some non-core assets and selling them to private companies. That doesn't sound like nationalistic mood at all, does it? Exactly the opposite. And, and you know, Cadelco is a state-owned enterprise. So I think they're really reflective of what the government is thinking and the government is saying. Yep. So it's a pretty one. No. It creates opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it was a big thing that most people seem to have missed while well, these rumours um, persist that that should go a long way to kind of easing people's uh, concerns about investing in Chile. Now, what, what else were you hearing when you said, why were you over there? What, what, what was the purpose of the visit, apart from attending um, the conference? Well, just making regular visits to go down into country, taking some analysts and investors to site. Uh, you know, it's one of the big things that we talk about is the infrastructure and locational advantages of our project. And it just, there's nothing like seeing it. So we wanted to get some analysts and investors down and the feedback was, wow, it's it's even better than we thought it was. So, you know, other, and other than that, just being in country, for, right. uh, moving the project forward. And, and offloading non-core uh, plant as well, I noticed. Get a bit of cash <laughs> yeah. in. So why, 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 why do you describe it as like non-core? Because could it not have been some use to you? Um, well, the Maramaca, it was originally part of the strategy to use that uh, Ivan plant as, as a development, but Maramaca project is so good um, and the Ivan plant is just a little bit too far away that it really would have been sort of a degradational on the 
return on investor capital for the project. There are other better options than using the Ivan plant, which is subscale and and a little bit far away. So you know, at, at that point, it's on it's on care and maintenance. It costs us money. Um, we don't we didn't see any real opportunity to for us to create value there in the short term. And the group that came in made a very generous offer. Right. Okay. And um, you you've kind of struck a deal there to kind of earn money over time, um, which will be. In fact, what are you going to do with that money? What's a better use of that money? Well, we're drilling at the moment, and these drill holes that we'll talk about today have really uh, opened our minds to the possibilities to the south of the Maramaka Oxide project. You know, we this project is, as we said in one of our announcements, we're still in the early stages of discovery. That's what these drill holes are telling us. We've got we've got a lot of work to do, and a lot more places we can spend that money wisely to create better returns for our investors. Right now, it, it was infiltrating. You have described this as um, well. You, you weren't expecting what came back. How's this? In fact, why don't you tell us what you saw? And maybe I think you, you, we said before we started, you might even get verify up and sort of show us what we're looking at here. But I'm more interested in what it tells you, and therefore what do you now do because it, it informs future decision making. Because this might be a little yeah, bit sure. bigger than you I'm actually thought. It's a great tool for visualizing, and we did a little video on this. Uh, just to just to help people visualize it because you know we can say it's extensional or it's not extensional or whatever but what you're seeing here is the 2019 resource block model shell so it's basically the limits of the 2019 resource which is what the PEA is based on and these red intersections here are the drill intersections and as you see they're all virtually outside of the 2019 pit shell so that means they're extensional. Now, we were expecting mineralization here, but we were expecting lower grade mineralization. So if you have a look at um, the 0.2% pit shell, which I'll put up now, uh, grade shell, sorry. Um, you know, we were expecting lower grade mineralization in several areas down here. And we hit the, we hit the mineralization at the right interpreted levels. Uh, but what came out of it is they were significantly higher grade and significantly broader intercepts than we had originally thought. The interpretation was from, from the drilling previously done that this area was thinning. And what these drill holes tell us is actually it's not thinning and it could be could actually be uh, expanding again and um, going into a broader zone of mineralization. So, you know, it really was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think the, the biggest surprise was the grades. You know, we were in an area where we had interpreted 0.2 to 0.25, 0.3%, you know, above the economic cutoff grade, but, but certainly not the, the higher grade core. And if we look at the sort of 0.4% uh, <clears throat> grade shell here, you know, this is this is now, all of these drill holes were, had significant intersections at above 0.4%. So when we rerun our resource interpretation, we would expect that 0.4% shell which is, which is really economic material for us to extend quite significantly. So this is adding tonnes, it's adding grade, it's adding copper. And, you know, the biggest question now is what happens further to the south? And Sergio's now got the dilemma of, well, do we start diverting some of our resources to looking at extensional step-out drilling down to the south? We almost certainly will look at that. Um, at the moment, we're in the middle of the infill drilling campaign, so we can't really divert immediately but but it's but it's all indicating that this project is going to uh, have a step change in scale which is 
the only weakness, as we discussed previously, of the project. It, 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 it is absolutely, and, and this is this is what I want to get onto with you because we, we've done a few pro- programs now and panels and sessions with mind builders, people who've actually gone and you know create billion dollar businesses, and they say that there's there's a way that you go about it. The, the, this infill drilling and what's come back are these hard grades, big intercepts in areas where you weren't expecting it. It kind of gives you a little bit of a headache because a couple of things happen here is you've got to make choices about where, where you divert capital to or whether you go and raise more capital because you, it's going to be bigger than you thought. And the kind of the come to Jesus moment for me or the conversion for me was, uh, you know, a few interviews ago when this stopped becoming a, a small project, small but perfectly formed project into something which could demonstrate you know, a possibility of a, a project scale and possibly global scale to interest the big boys, right? Now, you've told a story to market, and with this new information, you may have to change your, your plans, change your, your, your plan of attack because there's an opportunity in front of you. So you've got to get that balance between where you spend your capital, um, you know, value creation, accretive value, as the cliche goes, and managing that narrative in the market as people say, oh, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. So nice set of problems to have, but what do you do? How are you going to come at it? When when are you going to talk to the market about how you're going to come at it? Well, so the intention now is we're, we're moving forward with the infill drilling, and look, that step-out drill results are very nice. At this, at this stage, is it materially going to change the scale to... Uh, change our view that actually what we've got is a is now you know a, as a globally significant copper project you know and I, in my mind it's fifty thousand tons or more of production per annum is kind of the threshold. Um, do we need to wait for more tons or do we now are we now in a position where we can move forward with a project which is uh, you know something that will have the market sit up and take notice? And I think we are already at that point. So we will continue to move forward with our development plans. We're not going to delay those. We'll, we'll continue to move forward with the feasibility study and then with the permitting on the current project. But we'll almost certainly need to put some money to work to find the ends of this deposit, even if it doesn't make it into the measured and indicated category, if it's just inferred, so that we can paint the picture to the market of what this could be in the future, which is start at a certain size and then scale up in the future. So we're going to continue to run in parallel, basically. Okay, because the other kind of really interesting conversation we've had recently was around uh, the Lausanne curve, right? You know, in terms of that kind of you know feasibility development phase where people lose interest and they go and trot off elsewhere before that you know ascent into production, and they felt the best way to um, negate that disinterest, that that kind of boring period, as it's sometimes called, is to sort of layer the stories. So. What I'm hearing from you is you will continue along the current path, clearly with the studies and looking to get into production, but will not ignore the expiration upside component of this. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. The question, I guess, then is, are you capitalized to be able to do that? Or do you think if this story resonates that you're going to be able to raise more money? Well, we know we'll be able to raise more money. We have lots of people (laughs) offering uh, offering us money, you know, but I think the biggest question is, you know, what's the right price for us to do that? We already have a very firm view that, that we're going to have a resource upgrade at some point in the middle of the year. And so logically, we don't want to raise money prior to the market understanding what we're thinking internally in terms of what that scale could be and the material increase in value that will come along with that. Um, but as with all junior mining companies, we, you always need more money until you're in cash flow. So there's two separate um, aspects of our, of our capital requirement. One is the development aspect. 
which will lead up to a financing discussion, and the other is the ongoing exploration work, which is quite a lot cheaper than building the project, but but not a small amount of money. Um, but we now see some serious opportunities for the company to continue to grow this resource. So you, the, the kind of disconnect between copper price and copper equities, um, we should ignore that because you're, if you're saying people are offering you guys money, the institutions are aware of what's happening in copper, or the EV thematic, or whatever they believe is, is, is driving this thing, whether it be infrastructure, um, uh, yeah, infrastructure investment from governments, et cetera. You, you feel that the, the if the money, if you need money, it's there if you want it. The question for you is timing and how cheap that money is, or can the money be cheaper? Exactly, and dilution for our current shareholders. You know, where it's it's a game of trying to minimise your dilution before you get into mm. cash flow. Mm. Um, look, there is a disconnect, not so much in copper. There's certainly not the producing copper equities, although there are some that are trading quite cheaply. The vast majority of them are trading like gold used to trade at, you know, back when I was working in the gold industry, you know, significant premiums to their NPV and all of that sort of thing in the producer level, that hasn't yet trickled down to the junior end of the market. And so we are uh, fundamentally cheap, even if you have a more conservative view on where copper price is going to go, you know, a lot of equities in the junior space um, are cheap and that, a variety of reasons for that, but the generalist money hasn't yet started to flow down. But what we're seeing and what I saw when I attended the BMO conference in Miami was the feedback across the board was we want and need more copper exposure. And it's just very hard to find projects that we believe can be built in the short term. And we are definitely one of those. Then you overlay the challenge that we have, which is lack of liquidity. Um, so people are wanting to give us money and we're not wanting to take it. We're, we're financed for all of the work that we have going on at the moment. We can deliver our resource upgrade. Uh, we've got several other work streams that we're doing, which are project development. So we have no need for money right now, um, but sometime before the end of the year, we'll be looking at our options. And so what you kind of referenced that you said, obviously, there's a few reasons why perhaps people aren't um, coming in now. Um, is that a case of slight confusion? So there's a bit more macro, if you don't mind. Um, people are still holding cash because they're a bit nervous about the economy, I don't know, energy prices, food prices, whatever it is, disposable income has is, is got a little bit constrained at the moment and maybe investing taking taking that on the chin for now or, or do you think it's something else? Well, on the institutional side, I think it's um, I think it's more to do with they really want to invest in things where they have a clear line of sight on cash flow. You know, it's, it's obviously more speculative to invest at our end of the market and once the value dries up in the in the producer end of town, they will obviously start to look uh, further down the pecking order, as I describe it, um, into projects that are more risky. And what they're going to find is there is not very much to invest in in the copper space. And so, you know, it, it sometimes takes a little time for that to flow through. But I don't think it's a lack of cash available. There's plenty of money available. And there's, you know, you saw the announcement by legal in general, um, you know, one of the fund managers there that there has to be more investment in mining and, um, you know, the global investment community has to do that. But I think, you know, from the past boom, they're, they're, it's taking, they're taking their time, having learnt from the mistakes they made in past uh, bull markets. And uh, but I think we're starting to see that slowly change. But do you think there's um, there's a kind of catch-22 here because the big entities, they need to come in, in, in big blocks, they need to place big money, but they also need the liquidity to be there, to be able to trade in, in and out. Um, and, but the retail or family offices just aren't there at the moment. And that, that's, that's the kind of... 
the, the roadblock, as it were, f- for now. So come back to that question I just asked, which is, you know, what, what do you think is stopping people? We're getting lots of signals from the JP Morgans of this world, you know, um, an example you just gave as well, where it seems obvious that now's the time to move. It's kind of like a March 2020 moment again. It's, it seems obvious it can be lurched forward, but people, you know, fear to tread, uh, it seems, at the moment. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that. But what I would say is there's a very clear uh, disconnect between different markets in the world. If you talk to an Australian company and the ASX, you know, it is awash with retail money willing to invest right down the pecking order. Uh, it's very different in Canada and in London at the moment. Um, but I think we're going to start to see that change and we're already starting to feel it a little bit, although we don't have, yet have the clear evidence of it. Okay. Well, like, um, it was meant to be a quick call, so I, I kind of wandered off a little bit there. That, that's good news um, coming out of Chile. Um, the government showing intent, clear uh, signaling to the market that they are not for nationalisation. They are interested in foreign direct investment. Um, and that's got to be good news for companies like you. So uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Uh, keep in touch with, is, so how much more infill drilling are we doing? How many more results? That's the first, that's the first 3,000 metres of a 32,000 metre program. So we've got a lot of drilling to come. It's going to be pretty regular. Uh, the, the MAMIX extension, which was that extensional drilling that we talked about previously, is, is starting this week. So, you know, we're going to start to get more information on that. And then we can start to paint the picture as to, okay, well, you know, you can join the dots between the drill results and understand why we're quite excited about this this drilling campaign. And then in the background, look, there's a load of technical work for the feasibility study that's underway. We'll deliver some phase five MET results, which is a huge de-risking milestone, but often is overlooked. We can talk about that. Uh, so, look, I think we're going to be quite a lot back on back on with you talking about the things that are going on in country.